Well, tonight um, we're going to look at the fourth identity marker of the church. We have been in this bedrock series uh, for several weeks now. We've got just a couple of more. We're going to wrap it up. Um, We've seen that the church is made up of worshipers. We are to behave as family. We're to serve one another. And tonight we're going to talk about disciples. So if you have a Bible, you can go to Luke 14. We're going to jump around quite a bit tonight. And this isn't going to be so much a a verse by verse through one particular section. We're going to actually jump around quite a bit uh, because the concept of discipleship is pretty tough to to get in 30 minutes. So we're, I'm just going to try to, to do a bit of a flyover and we'll see how it goes. Luke chapter 14, and let's just read beginning at verse 25. Now great crowds accompanied him and he turned and said to them, if anyone comes to me, And does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters. Yes, even his own life. He cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you desiring to build a tower does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it. Otherwise, when he's laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, The man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king going out to encounter another king in war will not sit down first and deliberate whether he's able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000? And if not, while the other is yet a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. So therefore, any any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. Cannot be my disciple. Cannot be my disciple. Cannot be my disciple. Large crowds following him. Cannot be my disciple. Cannot be my disciple. You think Jesus is not interested in crowds, but disciples. And that's exactly the point. What Jesus wants more than anything is for his church to be disciples. But how do you recognize a disciple? What does it mean to be a disciple? What are the marks or the characteristics of a disciple? So I want to look at three of them tonight. I've, I've tried over the course of my study in the gospels and just time as a Christian, just to sort of compile uh, com- characteristics of a disciple. And I'm, and I've just tried to narrow it down to, to about three tonight, just three simple characteristics that always show up when we read of descriptions of the disciples in the gospels. And here's the first one. Disciples are identified with Christ. Disciples are identified with Christ. The first mark of a disciple is that they are a person who is identified with the person of Jesus Christ. I mean, if you think about what a disciple is, I mean, what the word literally is trying to get at, a disciple is a learner. A disciple is someone who sits at the feet of a master and learns their ways. A disciple is a pupil, a student of a teacher. And so Jesus even says in Matthew 10 that it's enough for a student to be like his master 
And he uses the phrase disciple there. So the goal of discipleship is to be identified in some way with the person by whom you are being discipled. I mean, we, we don't see this as much in our current college and university system, but there was a time in which people would go and actually study under specific teachers for specific disciplines. And the goal was to take on the characteristics of that master and teacher and learn how they do what they do. It was almost like an apprenticeship kind of thing. Well, now we choose more universities than professors at universities. But, you know, in the ancient Greek and Roman world, that was very common. I mean, we hear about students of Plato or students of Socrates or whatever. Students who were so immersed in this particular discipline of an instructor that they actually took on their ways and mannerisms. And we see that today, too, as well. People who study under, you know, I, I think even as a preacher and as a pastor, in some ways, I, I'm, I'm shocked by how my mannerisms and the ways I sound and talk come out of guys I've listened to and studied under John Piper, Tim Keller, those guys that I love and listen to. I don't intend to, but it's just, you, you can't help but do it. We're, we're, we're by nature imitators. So the first mark of a disciple then is they're identified with Christ. They are someone who openly admits that they belong to Jesus. You know, on one occasion, Jesus asked his disciples in Mark eight, who do you say that I am? And Peter responded, you're the Christ. It seems that everything in Jesus's ministry was driving toward getting that confession out of people. But the thing that often strikes us is what he says in the very next verse, Mark eight thirty one. He began to teach them that the son of man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, chief priests and teachers of the law and that he must be killed. And after three days rise again. A little later, he called the multitude of his disciples to him and said, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Get what he, get what he just did there. He said, this is what's going to happen to me. I'm going to suffer, die, be rejected, and then rise again. Now, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. In other words, if you're going to be a disciple, you got to walk the same walk I walk. You have to go the same path that I go. You have to expect to be treated the same way I was treated. I was rejected, expect to be rejected. I was accepted and received by some, expect to be uh, accepted and received by some. I was loved by some, expect to be loved by some. I was hated by some, expect to be hated. I was crucified. I was killed. Yes, even in some cases, expect that. I read a story this week about a businessman who came forward one night during a Billy Graham crusade to receive Christ. And the following Sunday night, he went to a local church after receiving Christ at this crusade and he ran into a man he knew. He, and the man that he knew was one of the elders in the church, one of the pastors. And he walked up to the man and said, I was at the Billy Graham crusade last week out at the ballpark and I went forward and I received Christ. And the elder said, that's a, that's fantastic. That is great news. I'm delighted to hear that. Then the businessman said to the elder, how long have you been a Christian? How long have you been associated with Christ? And how long have I known you? And, uh, the elder replied, it's been a couple decades. We, we go back about 25 years. And then the man said, have you known Christ that whole time? And he said, yeah, I have. 
And the businessman replied, I don't remember you ever speaking to me about Christ during those years. And the elder hung his head. And the man continued, I really thought highly of you. In fact, I thought so highly of you that I felt if anyone could be a fine as man as you and not be a Christian, then I don't have to be a Christian either. And the elder had lived a very good life before his friend, hoping to be an example. But what he was an example of was moralism and not Christianity. Brothers and sisters, we do not serve our fellow neighbor by not identifying with Christ. You know, sometimes we hide behind our good life, our good testimony, but that's not necessarily a Christian witness. A Christian witness has to be a verbal witness. It's not a Christian witness otherwise. It could be a moral witness. It could be a, a kind witness. We're full of, we have full of, full of a community of, of friends and neighbors who are extremely kind. But what they may be taking away from our life is not Christ, but no need of Christ. And so the first mark of a disciple is to be identified with Jesus, which means we admit and come out of the closet about the fact that we follow Jesus. And we determine that when we meet others, that they know that. Others, everyone in your life that you have a significant relationship with should know that about you. They should know that you are a disciple, that you learn from Jesus, that you take your cues for how to live from Christ. And they need to know that verbally from you, not just have a hunch about it or whatever. They need to know it. So do the people in your life that that know you well, Extended family, friends, coworkers, neighbors, do they know that about you? So if they don't, may I suggest to you that at your first opportunity that you quietly, graciously, and openly identify yourself with Jesus? I believe that's the mark of a true disciple. That's what, that's what our goal is, is we want to make that known to others. Secondly, and I'm going to try to move quickly because we only got 30 minutes, but... Secondly, a second mark of a disciple is they're obedient to Christ. Not just identified with Christ, but obedient to Christ. A disciple is not only a believer who's visibly identified with the person of Christ. That is, been, believe the gospel, been baptized, a member of the local church. But they're also obedient to the word of Christ, to the scriptures. After all, this is what Jesus is after in the Great Commission, isn't it? Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, teaching them to observe, to live out, to obey everything that I have commanded you. So discipleship and being a disciple is not first and foremost about information. It's not about, you know, getting the information. We need the information, okay? We need to be taught But that teaching has as its goal a lifestyle that is shaped by that teaching. In other words, living out everything that Christ has commanded. So it's not just information or some behavior modification here and there. It's about having our lives transformed and brought into alignment with Christ. So John 8, 31, Jesus said, if you hold to my teaching, you're really my disciples. Hold to my teaching. 
life marked by my teaching, life shaped by my teaching, life impacted and transformed and growing in obedience to my teaching. That's what it means to hold his teaching, not just know his teaching. So if you observe it and you apply it to your life, then you're my disciple. What about Luke? Remember the uh, account in Luke and those of you who are older mothers in here can appreciate this account. I think a little bit where Jesus is teaching uh, and it's a good crowd of people and they're listening to him preach. And this older, sweeter woman says, blessed is the mother who gave birth to you and nursed you. Can't you see a grandmother saying that, you know, this little 33 year old man, you know, sitting there teaching and this older woman saying, Oh, you're such a good boy, honey. And he turns to her and says, no, 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 no. Blessed are those who keep the word of God and obey it. Blessed are those who know the word of God and obey it. Those are the blessed ones. So it's not your nice compliment about me. You know, that's the issue. The issue is obedience to what I'm saying. How many people, how many times have I got that after a sermon? And I'm not questioning anybody's salvation right now. I'm just saying, you know, how sweet. That's such a good word. Thank you. But obedience is the issue. What's going to change tomorrow, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday in light of that? Or Matthew chapter 7. Why don't you go there with me? Matthew 7. Told you we'd be hopping around a little bit. Matthew 7 familiar passage. Hope all of these are familiar passages because I'm just trying to do disciple 101 here tonight. Matthew 7, familiar text. 7, the end of the Sermon on the Mount. Verse 24, everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock and the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on the house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand and the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell and great was the fall of it. So what made the difference between the wise man and the foolish man? Knowledge of the Bible? No, obedience to the Bible. It wasn't knowledge because they both heard the same sermon. They went to the same conference, got the same information, They both heard the word and they had the same circumstances. So we can't use the excuse. Well, you know, you don't know how tough it is where I come from. You know, you don't, you don't know what kind of family life I've got. You don't know how I suffer down at work. It's it's just tough. No, they had the same rain, the same floods, the same wind, the same beating on their house. And one house came down and one house stood. And the difference was one person obeyed what they heard. Obedience to the word is what brings stability. If you think that an, a disobedient life will, will, make, will, will, be, will make you strong in the day of adversity, it will not. It will not. Why do I say that? For this reason, John 14, remember this verse, whoever has my commands and obeys them, he is the one who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my father and I too will love him and show myself to him. So having commands and obeying them reflects love for Christ, right? So having the commands, obeying them, love Jesus. 
And he who loves me, that is he who hears, obeys, has my commands, obeys, proves their love for me by their obedience. Those are the ones that love me. And the ones who love me will be loved by my father. And I too will love him and reveal myself to him. So you want to know Jesus, right? We all want to know Jesus. We want to know Jesus in a better way. Well, we got to obey. We don't get Jesus and obey and know Jesus better by simply hearing about him. We have to walk with him. We have to obey him. We have to go in his direction. And as we do that, Jesus says he's going to make himself real to us. That is what keeps the house standing. And that's why obedience is so important because a notional, a a knowledge of the, you know, the promises of God and all that won't keep you strong. It'll be your past experience of the promises of God through your obedience and proving Christ's trustworthiness that will get you through. So that's why obedience is so, so important. It's the way in which we're made strong. It's the way in which we have a greater knowledge of Christ. So a disciple does not just attend meetings. Let's just be clear. A disciple does more than take notes. But we find out what the Bible says and we do it and we do it. So, for instance, we read Proverbs 3, 9 and 10. Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of your crops. Then your barns will be filled to overflowing and your vats will brim over with new wine. But we, new wine, but we look at our income and we see a lot of debt. And so we decide not to tithe. What about the family that I read about a couple of weeks ago that looked at their family bills and saw that it was pretty big and he and his wife prayed and decided that the first thing they ought to do to get out of debt was to increase their giving because that's what Proverbs three, nine and 10 says we should do to get our vats overflowing. Or what about forgiveness, extending undeserved mercy and grace to each other? When we sin against each other, remember Matthew five, therefore, if you're offering your gift at the altar and remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar and go be reconciled to your brother. Then come offer your gift. So being obedient means when we blow it and sin, we admit it and seek forgiveness. Are you doing that on a regular basis? Seeking forgiveness from people in your life. I have to seek forgiveness from my wife, from my kids, from, church, from other brothers and sisters on a regular basis. <laughs> on a, that's, the big, that's one of the hardest areas of obedience in my life. It shouldn't be. But it is for a proud man pursuing humility by the grace of God. So those are just a couple of examples of obedience uh, when we hear the word of God and do it. So that's the second mark of a disciple, living in obedience to the Bible, doing more than just hearing the word, putting into practice what we've heard, seeking to follow the Bible, do what it says. Third one, fruitful for Christ, fruitful for Christ. So identified with Christ, obedient to Christ and fruitful for Christ. And what I have in mind here is two kinds of fruit, because I think there's two kinds of fruit that are illustrated in the gospels. The first kind of fruit is the fruit of character. Character change, becoming a different kind of person. That's the goal of our discipleship. Like I said, not merely information, but transformation. 
So more and more, the fruit of the spirit of love and joy and peace and patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, beginning to, to mark themselves in our lives, growing in those characteristics. That would be the first one. The second one would be fruit by way of influencing the lives of others for Christ. And what I have in mind here is John fifteen sixteen, where Jesus says, you didn't choose me, but I chose you and I appointed you to go and bear fruit. And I believe that going and bearing fruit is activity that impacts others for Christ, influencing others for Christ. It's not primarily about character change. So let's take the first one. And I want to use an illustration from the Apostle Paul's life. You know, I've heard it said that the Apostle Paul, when he was converted, before he was converted, as a good Jewish scholar, would pray some, would, would be praying something like this every day. God, I thank you that I'm not a Gentile, I'm not a slave, and I'm not a woman. Think about that culture, okay? But what does Paul say in Galatians 3.28? Look at his change of character and attitude. There is neither Jew nor Greek nor slave nor free nor male nor female for you're all one in Christ Jesus. You think his assessment of people's value and worth changed? That's a character issue. The way you view others and, and estimate their value and worth. That changed as a result of being a disciple. He had his heart changed, his attitude changed. I mean, after all, this is what Jesus is after, isn't he? Our attitude, our outlook, our character. He didn't say, by this, all men will know you are my disciples if you can work great miracles. No, if you have love for one another, it's a character issue. So a second fruit is the fruit of influencing others for Christ. John 15, 16, you didn't choose me, but I chose you and appointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. Let me give you two illustrations of, of, of influence for Christ. Read both of these this week in preparation for this. One is of a, an, an older saint and one is of a younger Christian. Okay. Older Christian, younger Christian. Let's take the, the older Christian first and just someone whose influence for Christ in their later years was proof that Psalm 92.14 is true. What's Psalm 92.14 say? They will still bear fruit in old age. They will stay fresh and green. So listen to this story about Dr. Charles McCoy of Oyster Bay, Long Island. After 50 years of fruitful ministry as a pastor and evangelist, 50 years, that's a long pastorate. This 71-year-old bachelor began looking around for a retirement home. 71. Okay, so evidently he came into not full-time Christian ministry because as we heard this morning, we're all full-time Christian ministers. But he came into the office of pastor at 21. Okay? And then till 71, he served as a pastor. Not sure if it was in the same church or not. But listen, as a 71-year-old bachelor, he starts looking for a nursing home, or not a nursing home, retirement home, a spacious living facility. A bishop from India came to his church to plead for missionary help for India. Dr. McCoy prayed earnestly that God might lay it on the heart of someone in the congregation to respond to this call and go to India. 
After the third message, the bishop turned to Dr. McCoy and said, I don't think God is looking for someone in the congregation. I think he's looking for the man in the pulpit. Dr. McCoy could hardly believe his ears. He said, are you losing your mind? I'm 71. I've never been overseas. I've never been on the ocean. The thought of flying terrifies me. But soon a new missionary was on his way to India, green and seasick, but on his way at age 71. 15 years later, he died. Between the ages of 71 and 86, he'd gone around the world nine or 10 times preaching the gospel in India and Hong Kong in the opium dens and in the most difficult places in those two countries. There's a fruitful life right to the very end. He realized when he hurt, he's like, I don't get to just shrug off discipleship for the next 15 years. I, I still have to be a disciple. Now, that's not to mean that everyone, every one of our brothers and sisters who goes into a retirement home is shrugging off their discipleship. Okay, don't hear me saying that. But what you do hear is a person who at 71 still realized they were called to be a disciple and still called to influence others for Christ and not to give up and say, well, I've done it 50 years, Lord, I'm finished. You know, I just want to watch some sports. <laughs> All right, here, that's an older example. Here's a younger example. The same week that I read about this, I read about this as well. Teed Radden, I guess that's how you pronounce his name, T-E-E-D. I'm not sure if that's a typo. I don't know of any other Teeds, but we'll just call him Teed, whether it's a typo or not. Teed Radden, okay, his last name, R-A-D-I-N, Teed Radden. He was 23 years old, okay, and he was going to join the staff of the Navigators College Ministry. And the week he was going to join the staff, he died in a head-on collision. No, he didn't die in the head-on collision. He was seriously injured in the head-on collision because if he died, it ruins my story, and it's not true anyway. (laughs) He didn't die in the head-on collision, okay? He was seriously injured in the head-on collision. But... He and his fiancée did die within an hour of getting to the hospital. And one of the people at the hospital later mentioned that while Teed was in college, before he joined the staff, I mean, he hadn't even joined the staff of the Navigators yet. He wasn't even in full-time ministry, as we would sometimes think. But before that, the people who had been with him at college said that he had, that the Lord had used him to lead 25 to 30 men to Christ before he was going to come on staff with the navigators. And among them, five of them, of those 25 or so that he led to Christ, were at his funeral and willing at that moment to die for the cause of Christ. They were giving their lives to the cause of Christ as a result of Teed's influence in college. So here you have Teed Radden, a young man, a disciple early in his life, cut off at 23 in a head-on collision, but whose life had impact for Christ. 
And you have Dr. McCoy, an old man, a disciple right to the end, leading fruitful lives for Christ. Now, I believe that those are three marks of a disciple. You'll see if you, if you just read through the Gospels, see if those things don't come up in Jesus' example and in his words over and over again. Identification with Christ, obedience to Christ, fruitfulness for Christ. That's a disciple. So discipleship is not some complicated thing. It goes back to what I believe we're going to see is reflected in our mission statement. Because our mission statement is to make people like this. We want to be people like this and we want to make people like this. We want to make people who are identified with Christ, obedient to Christ, and fruitful for Christ. Worship, community, mission. In other words, being openly identified with the person of Christ, worshiping Christ. Being obedient to the word of Christ in everyday life. That's what community exists for, to help us grow in that. To grow in obedience to Christ. That's what we want. That's one of the main goals of Christian community. It's not just friendship and food and chips. As nice as all that is. And it would be a lot less fun without it. But the goal is obedience. We want to help each other obey. Recognizing that we all struggle to do that. And we all got to grow in that. And then bearing fruit for Christ by way of Christ-like character and influencing, the lives for, uh, influencing lives for Christ. There's mission. So that's what we're after. That, and, we, and we don't come up with that because we think that's some novel way of saying it. But we just look at scripture and we say this is what shows up again and again as characteristics of disciples. Let me lead us in prayer. Father, thank you for this time together to consider discipleship what it means to be a disciple, what it means to be identified, obedient to, and fruitful for Christ. We ask that you would help us to grow as disciples. We consider it a great privilege to be counted among your disciples, Lord Jesus, and we pray that we would be found worthy of that calling. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to dismiss our children at this point. So if you have a child, you might want to go. Another gospel song with a uh, new twist. I love how um, in contemporary Christian music. Send